Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly. Pro-life pressure. How much of your tax dollars fund the abortion industry? The answer may shock you. Freedom on the line. A pro-democracy advocate faces his second day of trial. We have a report from a member of Jimmy Lai's legal team. Rescue and recovery. Northwest China is rattled by its deadliest earthquake in nearly a decade. We have the latest. And family festivities. Christians and Muslims alike gather to celebrate a culture of peace. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. With us on the feast of Pope Blessed Urban V. We begin tonight with the latest on the war between Israel and Hamas, a war that the United Nations Security Council is trying to pause. They are expected to vote on a resolution to halt the hostilities in Gaza. There have been intense discussions over the wording of the draft. The U.S. vetoed the last draft resolution because of the language that it contained. This, as aid agencies are sounding the alarm about the desperate situation on the ground in Gaza. Over the past 48 hours, the largest remaining fully functional hospital uh, in Gaza has been shelled twice. These so-called safe zones are only safe when they're not only free from bombardment, but when those conditions, food, water, medicine and shelter, are met. However, under the current besieged conditions, adequate supplies for such zones are impossible. Israel Defense Forces have yet to comment on the shelling of Nasser Hospital in Gaza, which James Elder, which you heard right there, was referencing. Meanwhile, in the southern city of Rafah, a scene of destruction and rubble. Israeli airstrikes hit targets in both northern and southern Gaza overnight. The Hamas-run health ministry says more than 19,000 people have been killed following the October 7th attack. In a follow-up, the Latin Patriarchate of Jerusalem has shared images of what it said was damage to the Catholic Holy Family Parish in Gaza. The Patriarchate said in a statement that around noon on December 16th, a sniper of the Israel Defense Forces, quote, murdered two Christian women inside of the parish where the majority of Christian families have taken refuge since the start of the war. Among them, family members of British MP Leila Moran. They are quite literally down to their last can of corn. Um, it is, I don't, I've run out of words. It's beyond desperate. They've been told by the IDF that they need to evacuate. It's unclear why. Um, these are Christians seeking sanctuary in a church the week before Christmas. Having been there for more than 60 days, um, my family's uh, extended family, these are my mother's cousins, um, they were uh, bombed in the first week after the October 7th atrocities, and uh, they've been in that church ever since. The defense secretary announced a new force to protect ships using the Red Sea. Vessels, including container ships and oil tankers, have come under attack by drones and ballistic missiles fired from Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen. That could trigger delays of goods and rising prices. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, it's called Operation Prosperity Guardian, and Defense Secretary Austin made the announcement today in Bahrain. The attacks by Houthis have damaged ships, and now shipping companies are being forced to reroute their vessels, and the Houthis are threatening more attacks going after Israeli-linked vessels. 
Speaking to officers at U.S. Naval Forces Central Command, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin says keeping trade flowing is vital to maintaining the rules-based international order. You're here to keep the international sea lanes open and to keep global commerce flowing freely. Secretary Austin called the Houthi attacks on merchant ships totally unacceptable, adding mariners' lives are at risk. This video purporting to show Iran-backed Yemeni rebels seizing a ship, the Galaxy Leader, in the Red Sea because of its alleged links to Israel. All countries have the right to move freely and lawfully in international waters. And back at the White House. How much do you anticipate that could interrupt the global supply chain? I think it's just too soon to know what kind of impact it's actually going to have on the global economy. Um, that's why, quite frankly, because we're trying to get ahead of the problem set here, that's why we're standing up this coalition and trying to flesh it out and be able to counter these threats. Also tonight, earlier today, I tried asking President Biden about the Americans still being held hostage by Hamas in Gaza, but he did not take my question on the South Lawn. Tracy? Well, when I understand you're also tracking a, a new development with the vice president, tell us about her announcement. That's right, Tracy. Vice President Kamala Harris is at it again, pushing what they call reproductive rights. Vice President Kamala Harris revealed she is planning a new pro-abortion tour starting next month. She's already crisscrossed the country, pushing for abortion, making stops at several college campuses. Her new tour will kick off with an event in Wisconsin. On January 22nd, 2024, that date is deliberate. It is the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade, and it comes just days after the March for Life, which seeks to protect babies from abortion. And also, Tracy, I have an update with you on, or for you regarding President Biden. Earlier today, he took part in a memorial service for the late Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. Take a listen. One need not agree with all our decisions in order to recognize that our principles were deeply held and of the highest order. Justice O'Connor was the first woman to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court. Even though she was picked by a Republican president, she ruled in favor of abortion. And the justice who replaced Sandra Day O'Connor on the Supreme Court, of course, was Samuel Alito, and he's the justice who wrote the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe v. Wade. Tracy? Okay, thank you so much, Owen. Reporting tonight from the White House for us. Well, startling government report shows Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers received billions of dollars in taxpayer money, a violation of federal law. Lawmakers are asking how it happened and what can be done to prevent it in the future. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales has that story. Good evening, Tracy. Last January, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Congressman Chris Smith, and over 140 other lawmakers requested an audit of federal funding given to government and private health organizations. The results showed billions of American tax dollars used illegally. Senator Blackburn says this should never have happened. Joe Biden has doled out $2 billion to Planned Parenthood, and they've done over a million abortions 
in this period of time. The report found the Biden administration increased its funding to Planned Parenthood through the Health and Human Services Department by over 370 percent. The administration also rescinded the Trump-era Protect Life rule, which barred all family service groups from receiving funding that referred women to abortion services. Pro-Life Caucus Chair, Catholic Congressman Chris Smith, wrote that the money could have been used elsewhere. Quote, this money would have been better spent helping the businesses that were forced to close or providing comprehensive medical support for both women and children. The government report also uncovered. One of the things we found is that Planned Parenthood actually applied for loans through the PPP program, which was there for small businesses. So they got $90.4 million. $90.4 million. More tax money through the Paycheck Protection Program, which Senator Blackburn tells me hasn't been paid back. Democrats charge Republicans with trying to ban abortion access and vow to keep pushing its pro-abortion agenda nationwide. The House Democrats will never stop fighting to end this GOP assault on women, to defeat their war on freedom. We will use every tool at our disposal to protect the right to control your own body. Senator Blackburn is pushing a bill to close loopholes that currently allow family planning funds to entities that support abortion, including Planned Parenthood. She says congressional hearings should be held to dive deeper into the GAO report, but that's unlikely in a Democrat-controlled Senate. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN, News Nightly. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has signed three bills into law in an effort to deter illegal immigration. His state shares a 1,200-mile border with Mexico. The legislation earmarks money for increased barrier constructions, makes it a state crime for illegally crossing from Mexico, and increases the minimum sentence for illegally smuggling immigrants from two years to ten. Civil rights organizations have already filed a lawsuit challenging the law, which is expected to go into effect next year. And here to talk more about the sweeping legal action is Corrine Martinez, an expert in border security, immigration, and U.S.-Mexico relations with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Corrine, thank you so much for coming on today. We appreciate it. So what more can you tell us about this legislation and its potential impact in deterring illegal immigration? So in three different ways, there are three pieces of legislation. Uh, The most controversial one is SB4 from the fourth special session, which creates a state offense for crossing illegally into the state of Texas from a foreign nation and authorizes judges to order the the removal of illegal immigrants to the state, back to Mexico. Uh, This will hopefully deter immigrants from crossing illegally between the ports of entry. Right now, the situation is that it's very dangerous because they're crossing the Rio Grande. A lot of them uh, die from this type of crossing, and the cartels are basically having operational control of the border and deciding where the migrants are crossing. So this law will send a message to Mexico that Texas will not allow that, will not allow uh, allow human smuggling uh, and will not allow unlawfulness in Texas coming from Mexico. Um, Give us an idea, if if you can, how the flow of illegal migration has impacted the state of Texas and why they felt this law was so necessary. 
So it first impacts the border communities, of course. You have, uh, let's take, for example, uh, the, the town of Eagle Pass that has less than uh, 30,000 inhabitants and which is seeing thousands of migrants entering every day these days. Uh, so this has a, a cost on the healthcare system, on the public education system. It's very difficult for these communities to, to keep them, to house them. And a lot of times those migrants don't want to stay at the border. Uh, this is one thing, but another thing that is really important to know also, and right now this is happening, we're seeing very large groups of migrants arriving at certain points on the border uh, in Arizona right now and also in Eagle Pass and Del Rio right now, nobody crosses the border without the Mexican cartel's authorization. And what happens, and Border Patrol has confirmed that, is that when you're seeing large group of migrants arriving at one point, it's likely that they're trying to enter some people who don't want to get caught or drugs at over points. And uh, because Border Patrol has to deal and process the migrants, they're not able to patrol the border where it's possibly open, where there's no barrier. Uh, and that's also why another bill passed that will increase um, the appropriation for building border barrier infrastructure. Karen, we have about a minute or so left, um, but I do want to ask you this. Uh, federal courts have ruled that immigration laws can only be enforced by the federal government. That set, said, at what point do states' rights trump federal law, and do you anticipate this turning into a court battle between the Lone Star State and the Fed? So it's possible. We don't think uh, that bill is uh, first. We don't think it's unconstitutional or that it's doing the federal government's job of uh, enforcing immigration laws. It creates a state offense uh, under the U.S. Constitution and the 10th Amendment. All the powers that are not uh, delegated to the federal government and are not prohibited to the state are reserved for the states and the people, right? And during um, under a reason of the U.S., which is the case that uh, a lot of people refer to in the in the case of state handling immigration, Justice Scalia, in his partial dissent, uh, stated that, and that's true. There's no clause in the Constitution or or laws that exist that prohibits the state from excluding people who have no right to be on their sovereign territory. And uh, under the Constitution also, Article 1, Section 10, in case of imminent invasion, which we believe is the case with Mexican drug cartels, uh, the, the states can defend themselves, their citizens and their territory. This is a legitimate role of the government to defend its citizens, and that's what Texas is doing. Well, Corinne, thank you so much for coming on and for your insights. Thank we appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. And we, have a lot, and we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including Search and Rescue, the latest on the deadly earthquake in northwest China. And now they want to paint him as a radical firebrand. He was not. Updates on Catholic pro-democracy advocate Jimmy Lai on the second day of his trial in Hong Kong.
scenes out of Iceland following a volcanic eruption. The explosion occurred a little more than two miles away from a small town which was evacuated in November following seismic activity. Officials say the eruption is expected to decrease in intensity and will not release large amounts of ash into the air. One tourist compared the scene to, quote, something from a movie. More than 120 people are dead following a massive earthquake in China. According to Chinese authorities, the magnitude 6.2 quake injured more than 700 people and destroyed homes. Many were left outside in a below-freezing winter night. Emergency crews are conducting search and rescue operations. So far, there have been nine aftershocks. Well, it is the second day of the trial of a Catholic pro-democracy advocate in Hong Kong. Jimmy Lai faces a possible life sentence if convicted under a China-backed national security law. Lawyers for the former newspaper and magazine tycoon are attempting to have the charges thrown out. A judge is expected to rule by the end of the week. Otherwise, the trial is expected to run around three months. Lai was arrested in August of 2020 and faces three charges. Today, he arrived in court with a large police presence, even though he has never been convicted of a violent offense. We turn now to Jonathan Price, who is on the legal team representing Jimmy Lai. Jonathan, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, first off, can you tell us how Jimmy is doing health-wise, mentally? We don't have much information, Tracy. Um, very few people have been able to see him. We are his international legal team and not able to travel to Hong Kong. So we know about as much as um, his son, Sebastian, with whom we work very closely, who is also not able to travel to Hong Kong. Uh, for fear of arrest himself. But it appears that he's doing fine. Um, as you probably know, he's a man of considerable faith and conviction, uh, which he's found of great solace whilst he's been in prison for the last 1,000-plus um, days. Um, and in those circumstances, we think he's doing remarkably well. He's lost a little bit of weight, as you might imagine. Um, but he looks, from the pictures that we've seen, uh, relaxed. And, Jonathan, do you think it's possible for Jimmy to get a fair trial, given the fact that Hong Kong is backed by China? Um, Hong Kong is now more or less indistinguishable from China, and um, its legal system has been subverted by the introduction in 2020 of something called the National Security Law, which is a piece of legislation which will be familiar to people from mainland China because it is controlled not by an independent judiciary, but ultimately by a politically appointed committee. The judges in Jimmy Lai's national security law trial, of this is what he's facing at the moment, are handpicked judges uh, licensed, in effect, to try national security law cases because of their political fealty um, to Beijing. So in those circumstances, it is, uh, it is not how you or I would recognise fair judicial proceedings. And you've got to remember as well that in recently the um, Hong Kong director of national security boasted that the national security law has a 100% conviction rate. Uh, and again, in any rule of law compliant jurisdiction, that would be a red flag. I mean, it, would, it would instantly alarm authorities if they were convicting everybody they prosecuted that there was something wrong 
with the judicial system. It cannot be right that literally everybody accused of a crime is guilty, but that's how they've been operating the national security law. So I'm afraid we don't think that he's likely to receive a fair trial. Uh, Jonathan, um, as we know, well know, uh, Jimmy converted to Catholicism and, and he was baptized under Cardinal Joseph Zen. Do you think um, his religion, his converting to Catholicism, do you think this played into this as well? Was it a factor at all? It's not been made a, a factor explicitly. Um, I think it's recognised that to do so would uh, would be even more outrageous, if that's possible. Um, but no doubt his faith played a part in the conviction with which he pursued his activities. Now, they want to paint him as a radical firebrand. He was not. He was a conservative man of deep conviction and faith who was seeking to maintain the status quo in the city which he loved, which he made home, in which he in which he uh, did very well over, over many years as, as, as an industrialist and then as a newspaper man. And he saw that the Chinese authoritarianism would, would ruin Hong Kong. And his he made it his life's work to try to hold on to the Hong Kong and the freedoms in Hong Kong that he loved. And those included the freedom uh, for him to practice uh, his religion. So in, in many ways, it, his conviction, which, which meant that he stayed in Hong Kong when he could have left, he, he was a, a man of enormous means uh, and huge international connections. And when it became apparent to him that he was likely to be arrested, he could have made, uh, uh, made tracks and set up home in Hong Kong, uh, sorry, in New York, let's say, or London or Paris, uh, any, or any number of places in which he had connections and money. But he chose to stay. And that is a mark of his conviction, a mark of his faith. He knew he was doing the right thing, sticking up for these values. And he knew that uh, there, there were more important things to him than sitting back and enjoying uh, the fruits of his um, incredible life. And uh, it is those values that he stayed in for. Oh, Jonathan Price, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. We really appreciate it. God bless. Thank you very much, Tracy. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, calls for clarity. U.S. bishops react to the Vatican statement on blessings for same-sex couples. Plus, it is like one big happy family in Southeast Europe. We'll explain. are preparing to implement the Vatican's new guidelines permitting non-liturgical pastoral blessings for those in same-sex or irregular relationships. Bishop Andrew Cousins of the Diocese of Crookston, Minnesota, said, quote, although it is impossible for us to bless a same-sex union, since any sexual union outside of the marriage of one man and one woman is contrary to the gospel, we may bless individuals who are not yet living in full accord with the gospel, even those in a same-sex union. And Cardinal Sean O'Malley, head of the Archdiocese of Boston, said in a statement, quote, it is the church reaching out a hand of affection to all Catholics in the hope that these simple gestures provide an effective means of increasing trust in God on the part of the people who seek to be guided by a greater understanding of God's plan for love and truth. Well, finally, tonight in Kosovo in southeastern Europe, Christmas is bringing together Catholics and Muslims. Mm -hmm. 
Locals sang their favorite songs and enjoyed festive hot drinks to celebrate the Christmas season. Many of them gathered underneath hundreds of sparkling lights at St. Mark's Church. One Catholic priest said the city is surrounded by a Christmas atmosphere as if it is one big family. Oh, we thank you for watching tonight. And remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook X and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. We leave you tonight with a look at the Christmas lights in downtown Taipei, Taiwan. Good night and God bless.